Welcome to episode 102, Gump Runners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell. Coming at you the following the um the SEC championship game, Alabama pulls out a win 27-24 over the former number one team, Georgia Bulldogs, winners of 29 straight games. Alabama claims its 30th SEC championship title. Guys, if you thought, and I'm talking to J-Law Lester and everybody listening here, of course, if you thought after the South Florida game that this team would win the SEC, then, you know, you I'm sorry to say, you were looking through crimson glasses and saying that. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what fans are supposed to do. And I'm going to pull for my team no matter what. That's fine. But if you saw it from a realistic point of view, like we tried to do on this on this program, you saw there was a huge problem with the offensive line, a huge problem with the quarterback, and a huge problem with the offensive coordinator. I think the defense was solid all year from start to finish. You know, of course, they had their bus and, and and stuff like that, but I thought they were pretty much consistent from start to finish, and I finished. But weeks one through uh, through 13, this is a team that, after that South Florida game, could have easily lost to Texas A&M on the road, Ole Miss at home, Tennessee at home, LSU at home, and Auburn on the road. Um, the the turnaround from this team ha- has been second to none. I've never been this laid back during the football season because after the South Florida game, I didn't have any expectations. If they would have lost all those games that I just mentioned, I would have been like, yeah, I can see that. And if they'd have won all those games, I'd been like, yeah, I can see that because the talent was there. The coaching job from Nick Saban, Tommy Reese, and Eric Wolford has been unprecedented this year. The, the ability of the players on the offensive line and Jalen Milrow to be as coachable as they have been has been unprecedented. You put all that together, and now you've got an SEC championship football team and the team that, of course, will be playing Michigan in the Rose Bowl in the college football playoff. We'll start um, – you know, we'll cover we'll cover all of it tonight. Of course, you know, not going to break down the Michigan game until the week before. But, Lester, Alabama gets the dub over Georgia, man. Initial thoughts and reactions. Um, unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. Um, I know that, you know, I know our expectations as Bama fans and how they are. And, uh, I know we can say some pretty harsh things on this podcast, but guys, I promise you, if our Gump Runners group text leaked out, we'd be on the government list somewhere. I guarantee it. And that, but that's just where our expectations are. But I'll tell you what, after, you know, after, like Chase said, after the South Florida game, and he said the perfect word, just being laid back. But, and I, I told y'all on the group text, I said, after George got said, how fun was that thinking back? When you're playing with house money and you have no expectations and no one is coming after you. I've said it since week two, Bama's not going to make the playoff. I wasn't concerned about it. wasn't worried about it. I was not going to argue much with anybody about it. But, man, how, how fulfilling has this season been? This, is, this has probably been the most important season in Alabama history as far as from this point on, going forward and thinking about the future towards the end of Nick Saban's career and, you know, potentially with the, a new coach whenever that time comes. This has been the most important season for Alabama fans. It was it was needed because, you know, things change. People get better. People get worse. 
And also, guys, we have the greatest coach in college football history on our sideline every single Saturday. And I think, you know, you hear people say that, and it doesn't really resonate because, you know, you see the five stars, you see, you know, number one rankings and, you know, you know the past history of, you know, Alabama, all his, all his championships. But when have we really seen a team struggle and as Alabama fans have such low self-esteem regarding a football team? But Nick Saban earned every single dime and proved to you and everyone in the world why he is the greatest football coach. That is a real title. It's a coach. That's his job, to coach these guys up and to get them better week after week after week. Alabama fans aren't used to seeing um, the finished product literally week 12, week 13 of the season. You know, usually, you know, week two or three, you know, Alabama's kicking ass by 40, and, oh, this shit, this season's going to be gravy. But it wasn't like that this year, and I think it's really important for Alabama fans to see that, realize that, and to remember this season going forward. Man, it's 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 just to, to ask you ask you a question. It's it's amazing. It's it's unbelievable, and this is the most fulfilled I've ever felt as an Alabama fan. Um, at the end of a season, it wasn't just business as usual. It's freaking. They got better. They got the job done, and it's time to go and play. Hopefully for a national championship. Lester, I was thinking something on the way home from uh from Atlanta on Saturday night, watching on my phone, Louisville play Florida state in the ACC championship is saving such a good coach sometimes and, and runs a program that's so, so well ran. Do sometimes you get frustrated watching other teams play football? And I'm not talking about the matchin during the week because that's fun to tell, you know, pitch it all over the lot, win games 63 to 61. Anybody loves that, but watching teams like Louisville and Florida state, do you get frustrated sometimes watching other games that are just, you can just tell they're just poorly coached? Right. Cause sometimes, you know, you'll see a play dialed up, but the execution isn't there. It's like, like, like why can't you complete that path? Why can't you make well, that great? You know, that's, it's that's not paper. really what I'm, that's not really what I was referring to because that's an execute. That's a, a player driven analysis of it. I'm talking about like, I'm watching Louisville and Florida state. What's Florida state's defensive or, um, defensive strength. It's up front in their defensive line. Remember, even back in week one, LSU had damn quit by the third quarter, and even they told the Florida State players, yeah, we don't want anything. We don't want any of you. And um, and so Louisville just continues to, like, get in the pistol, get in the power eye, and just run the ball up the gut. And I'm like, what in the hell are you doing? It was just – it was such a poorly coached game that I was getting frustrated, and I think Nick Saban has a lot to do with that. That's what I was referring to. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean – Poor leadership, poor coaching. I mean, it, it's evident. It's evident because there's such a gap between Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, you know, maybe Lanning or whoever, and everybody else. And it shows up in simple things like you just said. Like, because, you know, watching the Louisville games, like, why is this so hard for Louisville? Why is this difficult for you to execute? Why are you keep doing the same things over and over again and it's not working? You know, so, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's coaching. Coaching matters a lot. J-Log, 2015, Alabama, week three, the last time they lost in September, you get beat by Ole Miss at home. And then you go throughout the rest of the season. You have some tight games. You remember Tennessee was tight that year at home. 
LSU with two touchdowns. Um, and then you, you, your team figures it out. You have certain guys develop. You find your core. You settle on a quarterback. Um, Jake Coker, he was the guy that started, got benched, and then came back and, and really developed. The similarities between these two teams are amazing. You know, it, when, when you really think about it, there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. Minus Derrick Henry, who won the Heisman Trophy. Of course, Alabama does not have that guy. But offensive line development, quarterback development, coordinator um, development along with the, with the quarterback. I mean, of course, that team goes on to win the national championship. But Nick Saban, I might have heard him say this, and you've heard him scatter it throughout the season. Um, and, of course, he says it every preseason. But Nick Saban continues to say, we have a team. This is a team. He said that it seems like 10, 15 times over the last three or four days. Um, this was also said a lot about the 2015 and the 2020 squads. Uh, the closeness this team has and the camaraderie the team has resembles 2015 a lot. Had the had the September loss and then rattled off um, a, a national championship, a national championship run. Um, talk about the similarities that you see between these two teams. Yeah, there are tons uh, between these two teams. First off, to start the year, they weren't very good offensive teams. Um, they didn't look great. They were both, especially early in the year, limited by quarterback play. We didn't have a lot of faith in Jake Coker. Jake Coker got benched in the Ole Miss game, eventually had to come back and win that game for us. Really good defenses for that one, man. But I just – and, I mean, and no, like they had a freshman Calvin Ridley – they didn't have a lot of guys to just throw it to until later in the year when our Darius Stewart started to step up. I believe that was um, Richard Mullaney was one of the receivers too. A lot of receivers, just a lot of a lot of similarities. Just watching these two, that this team grow, and that team grow. And I also think both years Nick Saban had fun. Is that is I don't I remember just thinking about 2015 Saban probably thinking after the Ole Miss game. Man, we got a long way to go. It's really going to be one week at a time with this group. And as the year went on, and they got really, really good. And I think the same thing has happened to Alabama this year. After the, especially after the Texas loss and then USF, you're thinking, man, we just got to win one ball game at a time. We just need to get better each and every week. And like Lester said, it's been a while since we've had to wait until week nine, week 10 to see somewhat of a finished product of what an Alabama team would look like. And now that we kind of sit here where we are right now, this Alabama team, not only can they beat anybody in the country, they've already beaten the best team in the country according to the college football playoff. Um, and I would not, I would, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they win at all. I think this Michigan game is not going to be very close. The next one could be, but just, just a fun year, man. And I just want to give this podcast a shout out. We, we always admit when we're wrong, if you, Go back and listen. You can hear us all say we're wrong about certain things, whether it's Jalen Milrow being good, who we thought what the quarterback was going to be, whatever might happen. Um, but, man, go back and listen to last week's podcast. Dude, we don't like to brag. We're dead on. Lester's first deal talking about what our defense needs to do. Somebody, was really, somebody was really dead on. Chase early in the podcast was dead on about a lot of stuff. We were dead on about Caleb Downs. Caleb um, nails the score prediction, 27-24. Reichard, unfortunately, didn't hit the walk-off. Um, that would have been really sweet. But he said 
to vault Alabama into the playoff. And I'd be damned if it didn't happen exactly like that. Well, not only that is Alabama got Texas into the playoff. And since Texas had to be in the playoff, Alabama had to be in the playoff. So it kind of all helped ourselves out. But last week's podcast, man, we were on the money. We all had kind of the same feel about this game. And, uh, I mean, I just think it was, a, it was a quality podcast. I just thank everybody for listening. We got a lot of listens last week, but I think it was a good podcast. We were dead on, and um, maybe it shows that sometimes we do know what we're talking about a little bit. Lester, let's talk about the game that Jalen Milrow played, and maybe not the flashiest of games, but big plays were huge for him in this game. Uh, the drive in the fourth quarter was huge. We'll talk about that. Um, Milro did not have his best day throwing the ball. He didn't complete a deep ball for the first time, it seems like, forever. But w- with him throwing the ball like that, he wasn't inaccurate, but, of course, he missed you know a couple of easy ones. He missed some open guys that he never even saw um, or he saw late. Um, if, if this is week two and Jalen Milro brings that type of performance, um, Alabama loses to Georgia by 10-plus points. But now that Milrow has learned to get out of the pocket and extend plays, I know he took four sacks, but it could have taken a lot more. Um, even when he doesn't have a good day with his arm, he can still beat elite teams because that's what Georgia was. That's so promising for Alabama fans to know that now you can win in this way too. You don't have to rely on the deep ball. You don't have to rely on Milrow running for 150 yards. Now that he can do a mix of both and he's found check downs and, and he's he's just added another level of development to his game, that, that gives Alabama fans a lot more comfort heading into the playoff. Talk about Jalen Milrow and what he did in this game. I think Jalen Milrow, I think, you know, a lot of his – inaccuracies probably early in the game i feel the kid is amped up he's really juiced up he's really amped up um you know that, that leads to the ball settling high maybe overthrows or you know misses like that maybe he gets a little tight but he the kid's definitely amped up he can see him settle into the game and part two with Jalen miro is fellas everyone i'm gonna give give tommy reese credit man i think that both Jalen miro and tommy reese have grown together this season i think that you know we've seen you know an iron bowl and in this georgia game that i think i think reese does know what tommy reese what what milro is good at and what he can execute really really well but he saves those little pocket plays for certain situations um and i love that it shows that now your offensive coordinator knows your quarterback, knows his strengths, knows his weaknesses. And within that, Jalen Miro has gotten better as a quarterback, um, a little bit better as a passer. Golly, I, I want to scream my head off when he threw to the check down. We have not seen that all year. And my God, he threw that ball down the sideline to the running back perfectly. I could not have been more happy. So, it's just been really great seeing that seeing his and Tommy's development. Yeah, um, I, I mentioned at halftime uh, in our in our Gump Runners group group text that you won't you won't win the game if Milrow stays at fifty percent. I thought he had to throw the ball better in the second half because Georgia was going to come out and key on the run game, which they did, um, and that Reese had to do something to get guys open because you know Georgia was going to key on that run. Before the touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, I think Bama had like 21 yards of total offense. Um, but in my opinion, I think that was the best drive Alabama had all season. Uh, the You know, Georgia 
had a touchdown that had cut it to 20 to 17. Um, they had all the momentum. Alabama sideline was dead. Uh, Milrow finally found his check downs. Not sure if they told him that over the headset or the phone from the booth, but he finally finds his check downs and Bond did the rest on the drive. You know, I think he had like four catches for around 60 yards or so. Milrow finishes the day at 57%, and um, and he did what he needed to do to get the win. I mean, J-Law, this guy is – he's making teams cover for like 10 seconds and then just strolling for first downs. You know how demoralizing that is for your defense? Well, you know, his, his last five Power 5 games, which have been played against three ranked teams plus Auburn on the road, this guy's completing 62% of his passes, 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns, two picks – He's also got 330 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. So 16 touchdowns over his last power five games. The development is unprecedented. The way he's turned it on at the end of the season is great. Talk about what you saw from Milrow in this one. Yeah, another week of Milrow missing, you know, some easy ones. He missed Kobe Prentice on a critical high-low route, took the took the high guy in between the the corner and the safety, and Milrow threw it about eight feet over his head. A couple of missed throws in this ball game, but – Overall, man, like that, at this point, we're 13 games in. That's going to happen. So Milrow brings you something that other quarterbacks at Alabama haven't. Like, yeah, he's going to miss those, but what about the plays that he makes? What about extending drives? What about what Chase just said? You cover for four, five, six. Even Gary brought it up again. Jalen Milrow holds the ball in the pocket longer than any other Power 5 quarterback. So like all 60-plus teams or whatever there are, he holds it the longest. And that's because he can. Because if he does, and his mobility now, and plus how well Caden Proctor in the left side of the offensive line is playing now that you're going to have time to do it, if he holds it that long and they don't get open, he's just going to take off. Georgia tried a double spy, not just one linebacker, two linebackers, and he still killed them on some critical third-down plays. I think he's getting better at reading the defense. I still think that he... Just after watching the game, predetermined a few throws. He had an eye black wide open. Could have been a touchdown, I think. Second quarter, early third quarter, maybe somewhere in the middle of the game. But overall, Georgia wasn't going to let us beat them with the deep ball. Alabama beat them with the intermediate passes, beat them with the checkdowns, and beat Georgia running the football. The run game was Jalen Milrow's friend in this ball game. Booker, Latham, Roberts throwing Georgia defensive linemen four or five yards down the field. When all this is coming together for Jalen Milrow, who our criticism of, of him was, he wasn't reading defenses, he's standing in the pocket way too long for how athletic he is. All, almost all of that has been fixed for Milrow. So there's nothing else that you can ask Milrow to do other than be slightly more accurate. I think I texted y'all on Sunday, said, if Milrow accuracy, if this was, e, if this was um, you know, NCAA football 14, EA Sports, if his accuracy slider went from 75 to 80 we're not talking 99 we're not talking about high 80s we're talking about 75 to 80 if his slider went up a little bit on the creative player Jalen Milrow would be and Alabama would be completely unstoppable they may score a touchdown every drive because it's just a couple of plays here and there in the ball game that Milrow misses but later in the game he always makes up for it but if he was slightly more accurate Jalen Milrow probably would be an NFL first or second round draft pick at quarterback. And he's going to have next year to get better at that with Tommy Reese, who's done a great job. I cannot tell you, I know Lester was ready to kill him. I know you were too. I kind of was too a little bit early in the year, but 
Tommy Reese has guys running wide open. Milrose hitting them. The wheel routes have been deadly, dialing those up at the right time in the Iron Bowl in this game. I mean, man, what Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow have both done from game one to game 13 is just incredible. Lester, of all the games Nick Saban's won, of all the championship games he's won, there's really been just a few times where, as a fan, you sit back and go, Saban, huge balls right there, my man. Like, gutsy call, gutsy play. You got one of those on Saturday afternoon in Atlanta. Fourth, oh, yeah. and, five, fourth and five, right before the half, you're up by – no, it's tie game, right? Yeah, 10-10. 10 to 10 ball game there. And you're on about what the 37? It's probably about I a think 50 it was 10 7. 10 7. Yeah, that's right. 17 7 at halftime. Yeah, balance up 10 7. Um, Georgia gets the ball coming out of the half. You're on about the 37 yard line, which is giving Riker about a 54 yard look. Um, stretching his range a little bit. He usually doesn't ever have to kick those. So we really don't know how far he can kick it. He might make it. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, but, you know, as, as an Alabama fan with kick six flashbacks, you never even want to attempt that. So most of the time what Saban does, you know, you, you run the offense out there, you try to draw them all sides, maybe get you a fourth and short or maybe a first down, um, a cheap one. And then if, you, if not, you call a timeout or you either take a penalty and you send your punt team out there. So offense goes out. Georgia doesn't jump. Alabama calls timeout. And then the offense comes back out there. And I'm like, okay, are they going to try to do it again? And then we go empty, and then we snap the damn ball. And I'm like, oh, hold up. What are we doing here? And Bond, you know, makes a great a great catch down there. Um, and that's the thing. It was fourth and five, and he throws it 20 yards downfield. So I'm not really sure the thought process of what to do there um, or, or, or why we did what we did on that play. But um, anyway, works out. Alabama, the next next play or whatever, throws a touchdown pass to Jermaine Burton before the half, goes up 17-7. to um, That's a huge risk-reward play right there, Lester. Because, I mean, if you don't get that, Georgia's getting the ball, and they've got to get, what, maybe, you know, 30 yards for an easy field goal try in whatever it was, a minute and a half. Um, and they get the ball coming out of the half. I mean, if, that, if you go into the half tied 10-10 – and then Georgia gets the ball and comes out, you know, and they, they score again, they have all the momentum. So talk about that play right there and what a turning point in the game it was for Alabama. I was I was begging for it. Please go for it. Please go for it. Please go for it. Go, 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 go for it. Because, you know, if you don't get it, put faith in your defense who have been done, who have been doing a hell of a job ever since the first drive of the game when Georgia Georgia marched right down the field. I had complete faith in our defense, and I wanted them to go, 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 go for it because you have to show that you got the balls to do it and you're willing to take the risk, and you cannot give that Georgia team who's going to get the ball back any sliver of hope or momentum. If you don't get it, fine. I I, I could I could live with that. But for Milroe to go out there, you know, settle his nerves down, execute the play. I was not expecting a 20-yard pass on that at all. But um, because I was pissed, man. When they didn't get the off when they didn't draw them offsides, I was pissed because I'm like saying about the freaking punt or whatever. No. They went for it and I loved it. And like I said, man, you know, maybe Saban was feeling this way too, but when you're playing with house money, bro, go for it. You have nothing to lose at all. Um 
Yeah, that was ballsy. You know, that's up there. With, that's up there with the Clemson, um, the onside kick, and uh, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, hell ball play and um, executed really, really well. And it was a catch, by the way, for all you people out there who say it, who said that it wasn't. It, it was a catch. Well, I mean, the SEC office came out and said they did review it. You know, they didn't. Of course, right. you know, they, they, if they reviewed the play and they think they see something, then they signal down to the head referee, and he blows the whistle to stop, stop the game. Uh, to look at it. So uh, the SEC office, they did come out and say they reviewed it. They didn't see anything. Let's play ball. Um, Alabama gets up on the line and runs a quick play to jam. That's what it was. And then they did the touchdown pass to Burton. So it is what it is. Um, I, I mentioned last week, J-Law, that I, I like Bama in the game due to the fact that they played in multiple tight games this year. And I, I thought that played a big part in this one. Oh, the crowd was about maybe 60-40 Georgia. Um, so it's like a mini road game. Alabama fans were louder than they usually are. Um, seems like the fan base is a little bit hungrier this year than they've been in quite some time. Um, but once Georgia cut it to three, like I said, that the Georgia fans were incredibly loud. You can go back on TV and actually hear that in the dome. And um, offense had to put together a drive. Their poise, I think comes from being in so many big spots and having the confidence that they can get it done in those big spots. Talk about if, if that played a factor in this game, because I'm not going to say he got antsy, but Carson Beck looked a little uncomfortable. He got sat more than he has all year. Uh, he only had, you know, I mentioned last week, he'd only been sat eight times all year. I think what well, we got him three or four times in this game. So he was a little uncomfortable and his numbers weren't terrible. But whenever you break that game down, Alabama dropped dropped probably four interceptions. And so he could have had a miserable day if Alabama DBs could hold on to the damn football. Um, I know for a fact, Kool-Aid could have had one, Amos, and Story. Um, and then Malachi I guess Mal yeah, Malachi. Yeah, so four legit chances at, inter at easy interceptions um, that Alabama DBs could have made. And so even though Beck – his numbers on paper looked fine. He looked a little antsy back there. So Alabama playing in all those tight games and Georgia's just blowing everybody out with an easy schedule. Talk about how that maybe played a factor in this championship game on Saturday. Yeah, I think Lester said it last week. Alabama's battle tested going into that into this game. They're not going to be scared. They're not going to be scared of a game going down to the wire in the fourth quarter. But I also think Alabama played some tight games against some really good opponents this year. I mean, and, and listen, Georgia did too. Missouri's a really good football team this year. They have their ebbs and flows in their program, but they're a good football team. That was a fourth-quarter ball game that Georgia found a way to, get, to win. Georgia won in Jordan-Hare in similar fashion to Alabama. A late fourth-quarter drive, sub two minutes. Brock Bowers dominates that drive. They score a touchdown. But it just felt like Jalen Milrow and this offense had the poise to go get it done after – what Saban called a pretty much a, an abysmal third quarter. They didn't do anything on offense in the third quarter. Georgia puts the pressure on, and what does Alabama do? I think they got the football with like 10, 15 left in the fourth quarter, and they go down and put just a, a masterful touchdown drive together. Milro wasn't seeing the Georgia defense well in the third quarter. Kirby and them made some really good adjustments in that, at halftime, obviously, but Check down after check down, the Isaiah Bond drive, being able to lean on one of your guys to find a way to get open. Got schemed open by the offensive coordinator a couple times on that drive with Isaiah Bond starting in the backfield, kind of running an in-and-out route back over the middle, a little delay, able to get open. Milro flipping it to Isaiah Bond, and it sucks that Bond didn't get credited with the, uh, the touchdown on that drive because he pretty much did everything, but 
I thought Alabama had a lot of poison in that moment. That's not that I did not believe in this team after fourth and 31, like they could do anything, but Georgia had all the momentum in the game. They took it back. I couldn't even hear Gary and Vern. I mean, uh, Gary and Brad barely talk on TV, how loud those Georgia fans were in the dome during that drive. And they go down there and punch it in. And even bigger than that, Hey man, you can't give Georgia the ball back because they're going to get it and kick a field goal to tire. They're going to go score a touchdown because they scored back-to-back touchdown drives on you at the end of the game. And the ability to go get two first downs. How many times have I texted all this year? Alabama just can't close it out. They won't close it out. Almost probably four or five games, whether it's the first quarter a chance to put a team away or late in a ball game with a chance to put a team away like in the Arkansas game. And they just won't close it out. Well, they got the ball twice in the fourth quarter. And they closed the ball game out one time with a touchdown drive. The next one, two critical first downs when Georgia had two timeouts left, able to get those first downs and end the game. And I just I thought that was a master class by Reese. I thought that was a master class by Jalen Milrow, has full command of this team, full poise to go down and get the job done. Um really all I had to cover on the Georgia game. Is there anything y'all want to add before we get into uh playoff talk a little bit? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, Yeah, so like I said earlier about, you know, things in a group text that we talk about, yada, 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 and how we target certain players. Um, Big guy, left tackle. What's his name? Caden Proctor. Jaden Proctor. Caden. Caden, yeah, that's right. Caden Proctor. We railed railed on his ass for (laughs) – I feel like two months. Deservingly so. Deservingly so. Every single single bit was deserved. Called him fat, smart ass, everything you can name to um, disgrace an an offensive lineman. But I want y'all to know that that guy was the highest rated offensive tackle in the game Saturday. I sent that in the group, but all of our listeners listen to that. That guy was the highest rated offensive, offensive lineman in the game against Georgia. So, you know, once again, you know, thinking about the season, things change, players get better. You know, not everybody comes in like Caleb Downs and, you know, dominates his position. But that guy, despite it all, because, you know, you know he heard some of the chatters. Um, I don't, I doubt he listened to Gump Runners, but um, that guy kept his nose to the grindstone and got better. And look at where he's at now. Probably going to play his, he got two you more know, years, going to be a first-round yeah. draft yeah, and and usually when those guys come in, you can see flashes. But right. I, I don't right. even remember seeing flashes from this guy. He was so bad versus Texas. And then even after that, him and Elijah Pritchett are switching out. We're like, all right, you got to pick one. They were both terrible. Um, you know, Pritchett would come in and give up two sacks. Proctor would come in and give up two sacks. Like, dude. What in the hell is going on with the left tackle? False starts, false starts. Yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, something just clicked. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if he switched or flipped the switch himself, if a coach had to really get in his ass and do it for him. Um, I know for a couple of games there, I did mention on this podcast, that he was getting a lot of tight end help. He gets a little bit still, but not near as much. Um, the only thing that gets him – and this is also on Milrow, is the late blitzes from his side. I, t- I mentioned that last week. Georgia did get to get a get a couple of pressures. Um, I know one of them took us out of a field goal when they brought late pressure from the left the left side. Um, so 
if they can get that figured out during bowl practice, um, maybe going on a fake clap, that would be tremendous. But you can't trust your center to do that because he still he still can't snap it to the quarterback's chest. There's still tons of problems going on right there. Um, but yeah, man, Caden Proctor, hats off, dude. Like development that, that I've never seen out of an offensive lineman. And that's one of the toughest things to do in college football. Like a skill guy is a skill guy. Like you can come in and play as a true freshman at running back, at receiver, um, even at quarterback. You know, if you, you can teach a guy to be a one read, hey, throw it here, if not run. Um, and then defensively, I understand the saving system is very hard, but think about playing in the trenches as an 18, 19-year-old kid, when you're going up against 20, 21, 22, and then, hell, now with all these guys having their sixth or seventh year, I think Michigan's got like 58 guys that are 25 years old. You know, you're going against grown men, and you're still an 18, 19-year-old kid. Your body hasn't developed yet. You haven't grown into your body. He's not near as strong as he's going to be in two or three years. And so to be able to hold your own like that is super impressive to me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Looking forward to see what he's going to do. And also, um, when Kool-Aid went out, Trey Amos, guys, we've heard about Terion and Kool-Aid, just those two, because they've dominated all year, just those two. Man, but Buddy, you know, yeah. just shut down Bowers, damn near got an interception. Hey, I love it. All I heard was, you know, McConkey and – uh. And Bowers were hurt, they were banged up. Well, I, I saw Alabama starting running back um, and, and street clothes on the sideline. I saw um, a top 10 overall draft pick in next year's draft at, at DB go out with, um, what, 10 minutes ago in the third quarter? So uh, Alabama found a way. I mean, all I heard was excuses for Georgia. Their guys were nicked up. But, you know, whenever you bring up Jamison Williams and, and, uh, and John Mechie a couple of years ago, they don't want to hear that. But, Anyway, J-Law, you good? You ready to move on? Yeah, I'm good. I don't have anything else. Lester, week eight or nine, Alabama comes out. The original CFP rankings, they're, they're sitting there at eight. And they don't move until Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. <laughs> it's pretty absurd when you think about it. But looking at it, you knew, okay, Bama, Georgia, it's an elimination game. If Alabama beats Georgia, Georgia's not going to stay in front of Alabama. Ohio State, Michigan, this is all assuming, of course, that Alabama beats Georgia. Let me go ahead and say that. Ohio State, Michigan, that was an elimination game because one of those is going to be 11-1, and no conference champ. Oregon, Washington was an elimination game. And Texas was more than likely going to be win the Big 12 they were in. And then Florida State. Florida State was the one that everybody had circled. And – if Florida State lost, it would make it easy for the committee. If they didn't, it would make it tough. But, Lester, what were you, what was the most nerve-wracking nerve thing Saturday? Because you slept through it. You had to work Sunday night, so you didn't even, you didn't even know until like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you woke up, you were like, oh, well, damn. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, what was going like? Were you just like completely either? Ah, there's no chance they're getting in, or was there, there was there a glimmer of hope for you? Yeah, that was certainly a glimmer of hope. But um, you know, thinking of number one, does the committee have balls? First of all, are they going to leave out an undefeated conference champ? You know, quarterback or not, be damned. 
because we've seen in the past, you know, I know I know TCU won the beat Michigan, whatever, yada yada yada, but they let Cincinnati in. You know, there's always one blowout in the in the first round of the playoffs. You know, seem seemingly every year, but the the committee had the balls to do this, and that was one thought I had. Then I said, I thought last year. TCU lost their conference championship game, and they still made the playoff. I did not think in my wildest imagination they would drop two-time defending 29-1 and over the last 30 games and drop them out of the playoff. You know, so I, 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 I got, I, shoot, I got off work and I slept like a baby. I told myself I wasn't going to worry about it. I woke up about 200 text messages, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I I thought that the, another thing too that they had an axe to grind against Alabama. We know how everyone that is not an Alabama fan views the Alabama Crimson Tide. We know this. It goes from fans to national media to you know presidents and president presidents and high ranking officials of other universities. They hate our ass, and I that's that's been my motivation all year for saying that Alabama was not going to get in. But the committee did the right thing based on their criteria, based Mm -hmm. on things that they have built in. They made the right choice, I feel like. Yeah. And and that's that was basically what I wanted you to answer was, did they get it right? Because the way I look at it, Saturday night, I'm all over social media, of course. I'm looking, you know, Colin Cowherd, Matt Leinart. Clay Travis, Brett McMurphy, Kirk Herbstreit, Greg McElroy, Joey Galloway, countless others. All of these guys that know the game of football had Bama in their top four. Yet we base this stuff, the top four teams, off of a bunch of computer nerds that don't study the game and haven't played the game. They're, they're deciding who's going to the playoff year after year after year the committee has gotten it wrong when they have a competition for the fourth spot. Even last year, guys, but TCU and Alabama are not conference champs. Neither one of them TCU gets in. Why? Because they have one less loss. Um, Their strength of schedule wasn't as good as Alabama's. They had one less loss. Alabama was sitting there at uh, 10 and two TCU was like 12 and one or something like that. Um, TCU was obviously not the better team. This year, Oregon has the worst resume of the one-loss teams, yet they're the highest-ranked one-loss teams because their dink-and-dunk quarterback had a high completion percentage. Thank God he got exposed. So, no, I didn't have any hope in this committee to put the four best teams in. I figured they'd just do what was easiest to explain, which is put, you know, three Power 5 undefeated champs in, and then Texas, who had a head-to-head win versus Alabama on the road, um, but yeah, Lester, you're right. I truly believe they got it right this year. It says clear as day. If you go to the CFP website, um, it's got it right there. Our mission is to find the four best teams and put them in the college football playoff. And then they have a list of principles of everything that they look at the top five things. They've got five bullet points. And if you go down, hell, let me see if I can freaking get it and read it to you. All right. This is number five. Of course, you know, you go through conference championships, strength of schedule, head-to-head, yada, yada, yada. Number five bullet point, other relevant factors such as unavailability of key players and coaches that may have affected a team's performance during the season or likely will affect its postseason performance. That is the fifth principle 
So the top five things, that's one of them that they look at as a committee. And so once you break it down, this was not a 2015 Alabama situation where you have a Heisman Trophy winning running back and you are 65% run. Jordan Travis was the offense. You got Keon Coleman. You got these great receivers. Yes, Florida State ran it well, but that's only because they threw it extremely well. Guy had 27 touchdowns in like 10 games, so he was their offense. Um, he was a Heisman. He was a Heisman contender for a while, for Christ's sake. So this guy was a huge part of their offense. He goes down. It's in the principles. So if you want to argue with anybody, argue with that. I mean, like, that's the only thing you need to look at. It's not Bama's fault. It's not Florida State's fault. It's not Jordan Travis's fault because I think everybody can agree if he's healthy, Florida State gets in the playoff, and Alabama fans really don't have a gripe to that. I mean, there's really nothing they can do. Um, but the committee thought what I thought, that Florida State cannot compete with the top three teams in the country that they put in the playoff without Jordan Travis. So I think they got it right. JL, tell me what you thought about it. Sorry, I was reading uh, Rick Scott's letter to the <laughs> college yeah. football playoff committee, 10 bullet points on how that's what I, that's what I can't understand is how all these lawmakers are trying to like asking the committee, why didn't Florida state get in? It's on the first page of the college football playoff thing unavailability of key players it's written right there florida state did not get in because they had two games without their starting quarterback and they looked awful okay and if they had a really good game with rodemaker and then a poor game last week i still think they would have gotten in but their offense without jordan travis does not leave them in a position to compete with Alabama, Texas, Georgia. Florida State was ranked too high. And I understand it doesn't matter after the top four because the same teams are going to the same bowls, blah, blah, blah. But Florida State is not better than Georgia. They are not better than Ohio State. Without Jordan Travis, Ole Miss and Missouri probably beat Florida State. Like, it's just obvious that when you start talking about the four best teams and can they get in there and win the college football playoff, I would say 12 out of 13 committee members were probably like, you know what, Florida State can't get in here. They can't beat Bama. They can't beat Michigan. They can't beat Washington, and they can't beat Texas. Therefore, we can't put them in the playoff. And I don't even think it's because of duds like TCU and Cincinnati, but I do think that those teams set a bad precedent for what, well, this these guys deserve it. For the deserving teams, they set a really bad precedent. Because of all things, it's about putting the best four teams in the playoff. And last year, they put a more deserving TCU in the playoff over Alabama and a lot of other two-loss teams that were probably better than TCU. And it completely backfired a dud of a national title game. Not even going to talk about revenue loss for ad sales, et cetera, but it was a dud of a game. Everybody turned it off after the first quarter. It was an anticlimactic end to college football. And you still might get a dud game like that, but at least – you have what you really think are the four best teams. Alabama's one of the four best teams. They beat Georgia. It was a win that not only catapulted Alabama in, but it also catapulted Texas into the college football playoff. But, man, it was crazy. I kind of felt like we were getting in, especially after watching what Louisville and Florida State did on the field Saturday night, but I wasn't sure. But when we woke up on Sunday morning and all the odds makers were making like mm – -hmm. Crazy odds about Alabama getting in. Really felt like they were going to get in. I think they did the right thing. It sucks for Florida State. It sucks for Jordan Travis. But 
if you ask an honest Florida State fan, they know they don't have a chance to win the national championship. So, and it's not a playoff. First of all, we got to quit calling this a playoff. You get invited to play in a semifinal game and a finals game. It's not that a playoff means you can play in. You cannot play yourself into this playoff. So it's not a playoff. It's an invitational. You get invited to the college football invitational, which Shannon Sharp calls the Alabama invitational because we're in it every year. But it's not a playoff because you can't play your way in. They pick the four best teams. They invite them to come, and they play it out on the field. We're going to have a real playoff next year. It's how it should have started. But all you can do is blame the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 for their little alliance. Greg Sankey wanted 12 teams. The Big 12 wanted 12 teams. Nobody else did. Well, this is what you get. The ACC sitting at home, and Alabama's probably is out. An SEC team is going to win the national championship. It's going to be Texas or Alabama. So a, a team that will be in the SEC at least next year is going to win it all. Yeah, um, I, I can see that too. Of course, you know we'll get into that in a, in a few weeks. But yeah, I mean, and, and everybody out there, I, I would another thing I don't understand. You you, you talk about non Florida State fans. You ask them, well, do you think Florida State would beat Alabama or Michigan? They're like, well, no, they don't have the quarterback. Okay, then why do you want them in the playoff? Because they won every game they played. So did Liberty. Florida schedule strength of schedule was better. Not really, not not much. I mean, Florida State had a terrible strength of schedule. Their their combined um, win loss of their opponents was was under five hundred. Um, thing I saw were that their opponents had like a forty seven percent winning percentage, and Liberty's opponents had like a 43 percent. So there wasn't really too much difference right there between Liberty and Florida State. Yeah, Liberty's sitting there at twelve. So. I don't, you know, like Law said, you hate it for you, or you hate, you hate it for Florida State, but Law mentioned you had two games to prove yourself. A lot of people were bringing up 2014 Ohio State. Cardell Jones comes in and beats Wisconsin 59 to nothing. Um, he showed that he, he he could compete up there with, with the best teams in the country, and, and he had a supporting cast to really help him out. Yeah, isn't, isn't that the thing? Mm-hmm. They, like Cardell Jones had a chance in a against a really good team to go think, out and beat them. And, yeah, I think they're ranked. I mean, they're, yeah, yeah, there was the, it was the Big Ten championship game, and he goes out and blows them out. Well, Florida State had a chance against a piss poor Florida team to do something on offense, did nothing. And if you watch the game, you say, "Well, Florida doesn't have like nine fifteen yarders in this game. They win the ball game, and then they have a chance to go beat a team." who goes go beat a team that gave up 37 to Kentucky at home. Just all they got to do is beat them somewhat handily, and they're in the playoff. Like, the quarterback didn't even have to look good. They just needed to be able to run the ball and throw it on third down if they needed to, and they couldn't do anything. So there are no similarities between no. between Ohio State and Florida State, and and it didn't help that they didn't play anybody that was good after LSU anyways. I mean, they played their their schedule was awful, and they were barely, honestly, barely scraping by with Jordan Travis. Yeah, and you know Florida's defense ranked like 68th in the country. Um, they started a backup quarterback as well. Florida did. So Florida State goes down there and has 224 total yards, um, 134 that was passing. Then they played Louisville and they had 219 total yards, 55 passing. 
So that there was nothing they, they just didn't do enough. And even the, the committee members were, were talking about, you know, it, it was Florida State. And then as they watched that ACC championship game, it, it slowly started to dwindle. Um, but still, guys, when I told y'all, there's no way they're going to leave out an undefeated Power Five champion regardless. I had no faith in the committee to do that. So I was totally surprised. Even, you know, J-Law, like you were talking about with the, when the odds came out Sunday morning, it didn't make me feel any better. Um, of course, you know, Vegas always knows, but um, I, I didn't put my faith in it and and Alabama gets in. Um, but is there anything else on the playoff we need to talk about? You basically heard all the rants. You've heard people's takes, you know, whether they think it's right, they think it's wrong. All I know is the the majority of the people that study this game week in and week out thought that Alabama should be in the top four. So, and once again, it's right there in the principles. Go argue with that. Go argue with the wall. I don't care. Is there anything else you would like to add on it? I don't think so. I think I think the playoff committee, um, once again, they faced no accountability, and they were playing with house money. Go ahead, put the best teams in like we originally set out to do. Deserving don't matter. And since we're going to 12 teams for the rest of time, if Florida State goes 13-0 again, this argument will never come up again for as long as we live. So, you know, the game is the game. It is what it is. Um, this discussion will not happen ever again. A 13-0 team, regardless of injury situation, will never be left on the playoff. So they did the right thing. Yeah, and – and I think that nobody – I really don't think anybody is going to be arguing about the – essentially the 11 seed because the 12 seed is almost always going to be the highest-ranked group of five champion. I really don't think people are going to be arguing about the 11 seed when it comes to all this. Like, Missouri should be in the playoff. Dude, we know they're not going to win the national championship. We're talking about teams that could legitimately win the national title. That's why I think that, like Lester just said – you're not going to have to deal with this anymore. Conference champs are getting in, highest ranked G5 champs getting in, and then the rest of the teams are literally going to be happy to be there. Maybe you have the six and the seven, like it would have been Ohio State and Georgia this year. But so eight through 12, they'll just be happy to be there. All right. Well, there you go. Um, albums in the playoff. We'll, we'll discuss that over the, the coming weeks. Um, get your bowl picks in. Uh, we might have a little competition ourselves, but you know, until next week, this is episode 102, Gunburners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell, we're out. <laughs>